As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. It's game week of Notre Dame, Ohio State. Joined, as always, by my co-host of Chicago, Matt Fortuna, and special guest this week. We teased him last week. Ari Wasserman from The Athletic. You can hear him on Stars Matter, pretty much anything Andy Staples does. He's a former Ohio State beat reporter for us, now covers recruiting on a national level. He loves the filet of fish. He's a man of many tangents, um, so expect <laughs> that on this podcast today. Ari... How are you? How how are you uh, getting ready for Notre Dame Ohio State this weekend? It's um, you know it, a program near and dear to your heart. Notre Dame. Oh yeah, Notre <laughs> Dame. You talk about them just, all the time on Stars Matter. I'm a. Uh, I mean, I've been anybody who, if there's any crossover to the Shamrock to Stars Matter, and I hope there is, knows that I've been I've been pumping some sunshine up up. Up South Bend's alley a little I f- bit. I feel like I have to like bring you back to Earth sometimes when we're exchanging yeah, no, Slack I, messages. I think that uh, it's going really well. I'm still coming to terms with the fact that Matt Fortuna has replaced me as the Ohio State beat writer uh, this week. <laughs> For one week. <laughs> um, but no, I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the game. Um, and I think that this is a game that I wish if I were the commissioner of college football, I would have on the schedule every year. I just think there's something special about both of those programs and they're so close and the fact that it's been what over 20 years since they've played is is I think a a complete disservice to the entire sport. So the fact that we're getting this game this year is exciting and and I'm very much looking forward to seeing how it all turns out. Yeah, you know, the I think the commissioner of the Big 10 and the athletic director of Ohio State, both of whom have Notre Dame degrees, would agree with you. Notre Dame should join the Big 10 and play Ohio State every year. I think that would be yeah. a, a win-win for everyone. Um Thanks again for joining the show. You, sure. You're our fellow. We wanted Jack Harlow, who's going to be the guest picker on game day. Yeah, Saturday. what's up? What's he, up with that? He was unavailable, so we're settling for Ari Wasserman. Uh, are you sat down? You had a story last week uh, from Ryan Day's office. I believe you sat down with him last mm-hmm. week. Um, big year for him. You know, the expectations are always high at Ohio State. They're probably higher than they've ever been in his era uh, this year. Uh, and he jumps right out of the gate with a top five program. What can you tell us um, from your takeaways with Ryan Day? You know, what's interesting is that a lot of coaches who get jobs have very different career arcs because mm-hmm. usually when a job comes open, that means there's a problem, right? And Ryan Day took over kind of in a tumultuous time with with the way that things went down with Urban Meyer, but he didn't take over a program that was in trouble. 
with the talent. They, they, were, they weren't losing games at a high degree. They didn't have to fix anything. So his career arc to this point has been no regular season losses for the first two years of his of his tenure. And then, you know, their first uh, two last year came against Oregon and then Michigan, which is a complete disaster for Ohio State in year three. So it took him more than two years into his job to to suffer a loss that people would be upset about. And it's not that they're not upset about losing to Clemson in the playoff in 19 or getting their butts kicked by Alabama in the national title game, but you can at least as an Ohio State supporter understand how that could happen. So for the first time in, in his young head coaching career, you have people who are upset with him and not just upset with him over a regular loss, but losing the Michigan game, which is something that neither of his predecessors made much of a habit of. So um, coming into this year, I think it's a very important year for for him as a, as a coach personally, but also a huge year for Ohio state, because, you know, as I've said many times before, I think it's pretty remarkable how many times Ohio state has missed the playoff or suffered inexplicable losses in the regular season, considering the way that the roster is constructed. Um, and, you know, I wrote a story sitting down with Ryan day, as you mentioned, and there were people saying hot seat in the comments. So it kind of gives you an idea of like, was it what, hot when you were in there? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he has plush leather sofas that I sunk into very nicely. No, I mean, he's not, he just signed a, a massive contract extension. That's not reality. But the fact of the matter is, is the man's getting heckled in grocery stores for losing to Michigan in Columbus. And, you know, I think there's just a level of edge that he has because like, listen, you're not supposed to lose that game. And I know it's a rivalry game and all the HBO special things that you can come talk about, but like they also lost to a team that wasn't nearly as good as them. And I like from a talent standpoint in Ohio state fans have a hard time coming to terms with that. So um, yes, I think it's a very important year for him. If they miss the playoff again, I think it would be in like, like the Armageddon of Columbus, Ohio. Um, And the fact that it starts with Notre Dame in week one kind of adds to the intrigue of all that. So they, Ohio State has lost games that they shouldn't lose, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that like you look at some of the Notre Dame's when they get have been blown out by elite elite teams like Clemson doesn't lose games. They shouldn't lose until last year. Alabama just doesn't any at any point. So like, right. Ohio State, like what happens when they lose? Like why? What happens when they lose to Oregon? Like Michigan, I sort of like put to the side because it was like a th- cathartic religious experience for everyone in Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. Like that was just. A, a total one-off but the Oregon game to me like if I'm Notre Dame I'm looking at the Oregon game that's the game I look at and be like all right what the hell happened here how right. do we replicate this in Ohio State's lost non-conference game like the year they won the national title they lost to Virginia Tech at home right so like it's not like they have been they have a staunch unblemished record of being successful with major non-conference games in fact I think they they've lost quite a bit of them going back to the USC ones and um, they lost a Miami one, uh, you know, going back 15 years, 10 years now. It's It's been a trend. And the thing that was so tough for the Ohio State fans to swallow is that they typically don't lose games they're locked in for, quote unquote. You're always locked in for Michigan. Um, you're always locked in for these big time matchups. And like, if you go back and look at Urban Meyer's tenure, that didn't happen very often. And they didn't lose any regular season games at all the last two years. So what when it does happen is I think last year was kind of a, I don't know if I would use last year as a, a parallel to some of those previous losses, but last year they just weren't as good as they usually are. And we viewed them through the lens of being that good. They were soft as a team. They got blown off the lines um, despite the fact of the talent they had. And 
they had to re um, organize their entire defensive staff as a result. So when you go look at Ohio State's deficiencies or losses, it's because of deficiencies that have been recognized by the staff and have been ignored until a, a catastrophic loss happens. If you go look at all the monumental changes that have happened at Ohio State from a coaching standpoint um, in the past seven years, it's always been a response to a loss. Um, and, and that loss is to um, been the, the catalyst of what is to come. Like when Ohio State won the national championship in 14, it was because their defense sucked at the end of 13. And they got a new defensive coordinator and then everything was fixed. It's just, I feel like they wait too long to make necessary changes. They've been loyal to a fault to coaches. They've promoted people that shouldn't have been promoted. And the thing that I think that's the difference between Ohio State and a place like Alabama is that Nick Saban is uncategorically ruthless when it comes to the expectations, and Ohio State lets them slip a little bit sometimes. So, you know, this year, I think it would be bad news for Notre Dame because they're locked in. You know, they come off of a year last year. They have a new coordinator. They're paying $2 million to restructure the defense, and, like, they are very motivated to not be – a repeat of last year's disappointment. But on the other hand, their defense stunk last year, and I don't know how much you believe Ohio State could fix in a one-off season. So there, there's like there's two ways of looking at it. Yeah, I, I just uh, had images of JT Barrett in my head when you talked about loyalty and not making changes when you yeah. probably should have. That was obviously Urban Meyer's biggest uh, weakness at Ohio State. I remember, I guess it would have been about two years ago after the 2020 draft, I wrote a column after Ohio State ahead, I think, two of the top three picks and just said like, to your point, Ari, I think that guy underachieved there. I really do. When you look at the talent level he had, and I thought I was going to get killed by Ohio state fans writing that. And they were all like, yeah, no, you're right. How did we only make two playoffs? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. no, it's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty remarkable when you look at like the conference they play in and I'm not disparaging Penn state and Michigan and some of the teams that they, they beat, but Ohio state is constructed like Georgia and Alabama from a talent standpoint. Now those two programs have been a little bit ahead, a notch ahead in the recruiting rankings. But if you go look at the NFL draft production and then you compare that to what they've done as a success on the field, as a team, it doesn't equate, it doesn't match. And like they've they missed the playoff. I mean, four times now or right. three times now, one of the two. And it's just like, how did that happen? Especially considering the fact that they rarely play games where a team is is more or equally talented. And if you go back and look at Urban Meyer's resume from his seven years there, I, I think off the top of my head he lost nine games. But if you look at the total number of teams that he played that presented that talent, or the, the talent was equitable, he probably only played 18 or 20 games where it was. So he's only a 500 coach uh, against teams that were similarly situated. So... You know, Ohio State's very much padded its its win totals and their records are lopsided and all that stuff. But I don't know if you could could say that this team has performed like an Alabama when they have faced teams that that pose that talent issue. Mm-hmm. So like what what happens like when Ohio State doesn't play well or they're pushed, whether it be Oregon or even like Penn State, Nebraska a little bit mm-hmm. last year. Like what happens? Like what what's the misfire? What's the disconnect? Um, between like yeah. a Maryland, like a f- where they just boat race you, or it's fifty six to three, or Michigan State last year, where it's forty nine nothing at half. Like, what's not happening in the games that are tight for us? That's the that's the number one question that anybody everybody wants to answer because if you all watch the Ohio State games where it's working, things are clicking, things things are going right. You know, it turns into a fifty six point blowout real fast. But then there's a certain games where there's dumb penalties and people are walking around with their heads down on the sideline and they just don't seem locked in. 
Um, and I think getting them into that scenario means keeping it close early and, you know, punching them in a mouth in the mouth in a way that they're not anticipating. Um, you know, like if Notre Dame, for instance, they've got a very good offensive line, right? Yeah. If they come out and they run the ball down Ohio state's throat on the first drive and score, then all of a sudden you start to think, Oh, wait a minute, maybe we're the same team or a lot of the issues that we had last year still exist. And then you get them in their head. And the next thing you know, you got a close game. So, you know, what happens, I think, is there's a lot of sleepwalking that occurs at that program, which is something that Nick Saban would not stand for. It's there's sleepwalking um, and per, losing to Purdue by a million and losing to Iowa by a million. Um, but last year's team had major deficiencies on its defensive line and in its defensive game plan. And both Michigan and Oregon identified them and beat the crap out of them. Like there's no other way of putting it. So, um, I don't know if there's one like major thing that I could be like, Hey, this is what happens every time Ohio state loses, but they are not as invisible of a program as you would think they were based on what they trot onto the field every Saturday. It reminds me, it reminds me of maybe a a bad analogy for Michigan and or for Notre Dame and Ohio state fans, but like they remind me of like a better version of Michigan in that regard. Like I just, until Mm -hmm. last year, I just thought Michigan was a front runner. Like they beat up the teams. They were bigger and better than, and the minute they fell behind in any game, it was like, Goodbye. You're going to lose three games this year on that alone. Um, you mentioned a little bit about the new staff hires. Don't expect everything to be perfect in week one, but it, to your point, like new all line coach, new defense coordinator, all these are direct response to last year. Um, what can Ohio State fans and Notre Dame fans expect Saturday night to look different um, for Ohio State schematically? You know, from what I understand, schematically, it's not going to be all that different at all. You know, they've got some different wrinkles and. Um, positions that they're going to deploy in in the secondary and stuff. But, you know, I think that Ohio State's number one issue really um, is two things. One is can they just be tougher? (laughs) You know, it's a football football team and they just – if you go watch that Michigan game, I don't think that Cade McNamara had to make a single throw in that game to win that game. Like I'm not saying he didn't complete passes. I'm saying there was no like defining moment where he had to make a play. They just ran the ball down their throat. It's like if you're Ohio State, that that in that game especially, that's almost inexcusable. I mean, that's not almost. It is an excusable thing. So, um, you know, I think that the number one thing for Ohio State is that they have a very youthful defense with a lot of pieces that could be great. And whether or not they're going to be a national championship caliber team this year is going to depend on whether or not the guys like Jack Sawyer um, or JT Tuimaloau or Denzel Burke continue their rise into being stars. Because you know what the craziest thing about last year was, guys? And this is the first time. Stars didn't matter. The stars clearly didn't (laughs) matter, but they didn't have a with those stars. They didn't have a single defensive playmaker they could rely on. Like and when's the last time an Ohio State team right, had that yeah. problem the, with the Bosa brothers and the Darren Lees and all the draft picks they had? It's like who's going to make a play and everyone's looking at each other like this, like who's going to be the person who makes a play? So like, is Jack Sawyer going to be that person? And like the thing I've always thought to myself is like, of course, assistant coaches are supposed to be there for developmental reasons, right? They're there to motivate and to put people in the best position. But like, how much can Jim Knowles, who's making two million dollars this this year to fix this defense? do to make those people reach their potential. Like it's almost kind of up to the players in terms of like whether they're that person or not. Um, And if they have some of those hits on their depth chart that turn out to be who we think they should be, then Ohio state's going to be a very good football team. I don't know if Jim Knowles is going to come in and dial up a schematic defense. It's going to be like, Oh my God, Vince Lombardi couldn't even imagine this. Hmm. This is 
I think it's a matter of whether or not they're a tougher and B some of their young, talented players turn out to be who we think they should be. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So, like, whether they're tougher or not, like, if for Notre Dame to win, they have to really dominate both lines of scrimmage, which still mm-hmm. might not be enough because of C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin yeah. Harrison and Trayvon Henderson. Like, give, give me some insight on, like, why Stroud is not just, like, great, but Heisman great, number one overall great. Like, he's – because I think even last year, I remember watching the Minnesota game and thinking, like, all right, this guy's good. And then they sit him because of the sore arm, sore yeah. shoulder. And then he comes back and just is like on fire the rest of the year pretty much. Like what? what's the game plan on him? What's the yeah, plan? Yeah, I think that the thing about C.J. Stroud is that, you know, you compare him directly to Justin Fields. Yeah. And Justin Fields was, I think, the most physically gifted athlete, at least skill position player that Ohio State has had uh in the last 10 years now Braxton Miller was a freak in his own right but he was more of a make a people miss type type person but I don't think that CJ Stroud is physically as gifted as Justin Fields was from just what his body is capable of doing what I do think he's very good at is a he's got a precision arm and he can hit uh, a dartboard from 100 yards away it feels like but he sees things in a way that you can't coach. And if you go back and you look at a lot of his highlights from a year ago, you know, he'll throw balls into windows that other quarterbacks wouldn't even see were there. And I think that you can rely on on your arm to put the ball exactly where you need it to be to find those windows. And I think that's what makes him such a unique NFL prospect because to me I think there's always been this disconnect guys of well, we're going to judge somebody based on where they fit on the on an NFL draft board, and we're going to try to contextualize that into how good of a college player he is. But there's always been a huge distinction between great college player and great pro. I mean, there have been people that have had mediocre um, college careers that have been great pros and vice versa. Um, but I think C.J. Stroud is a professional quarterback, maybe the most professional quarterback that Ohio State's had, including Justin Fields in the recent history. And, you know, Ohio state hasn't been a program in general that has a lot of quarterbacks excel in the NFL. Um, and I think it's because if there is a, a safety coming down and a linebacker under, he can find that one hole um, that might be three yards wide and put the ball through it right on rhythm. And of course, Ohio state has the receiver talent to make it work. Um, you know, I think that the fact that Ohio state had potentially three or four first round draft picks at receiver on the roster with him last year, um, or in total of his career is going to certainly help him. But I do think that, um, I buy into his next level ability to pass the football. Um, and that's what Ohio state's kind of been offensively. 
Um, not to ramble here, but you know, back in the Urban Meyer era, Ohio State was a run first team. You know, I don't think people realize, mm-hmm. you know, it, from they were a spread team and they brought the, you know, they had the Devin Smiths and and the Michael Thomases of the world, but they were a smash the ball out of the spread down your throat team. And they have become this finesse team almost that can throw the ball for 600 yards a game, but can't get a first down on the ground when they need one. Um, and I think that's another thing that's going to have to shift for them to be to win a national championship because at the end of the road, Ohio State's offense, for as good as it's been, you know, to, to give your readers some hope or your readers and listeners some hope, go look at their offensive numbers in some of their bigger games. It hasn't really equated to the 70 point, you know, thrashings that they put on on Maryland. So, you know, and I don't know, you guys are the experts with Notre Dame, but like if their defensive line and offensive line are awesome, and I think they are, right? It ha- makes yeah. me they, want. I think they will be. We'll see. Week yeah, one, yeah, yeah. So if their lines are awesome, that makes me want to take the points. Yeah. All right. That's what I want to get into. Doesn't yeah? Doesn't seventeen and a half seem like D- down to seventeen? Down to seventeen? Oh, down to seventeen. Okay. It seems. Still, it seems too big. high. It seems too high. Now, from a gambling perspective, not that I know anything about that, but sometimes you look at spreads and go, "Whoa." That is way too high. And then the team wins by 30 and you're like, oh, okay, Vegas knew something. (laughs) But sometimes the spreads are just too high. Um, And like, I think this should be a competitive game. Now, Ohio State's going to be juiced up. Like they want to put last year in the rearview mirror. And how do you do that by getting an emphatic win over a top five opponent on your home field in week one? But like, you know, Marcus Freeman's clicking the pen. What's the spread smirking? You know, they they got something to prove too. Um, And this is a team that's made the playoff multiple times as well. So, you know, non-conference games are supposed to be close. They're supposed to be fun. And if this game turns out to be 41 to 10 or something, I think I would be surprised by that. I think Notre Dame has, here's the thing that we talked about when you were on four to six with A and B rest in peace. RIP. Shamrock victorious. Yeah. We, it was like a, it was a race of like four to six with A and B and the shamrock, which one would last longer. Freaking land. We went from eight, four to yeah. six. We went to A and B from A to B quicker than four to six. Yes, you did. You, uh, you guys, uh, you guys were the last standing team podcast at the Athletic. Damn straight. Hold the belt up, <laughs> yeah. um, man. That's that's sad. We had a good thing going there, man. Um, but you 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 talked about. Oh, I was really going somewhere with that. And uh, it, by the way, it's really really funny to see you rattle right now because I'm our friend, rattled because our, like I'm hurt. Our, our friend Adam Rittenberg texted me earlier this week asking if me and Pete have the biggest bromance at the Athletic, and I was like, "You must." Well, now that Billy, now, Bill Landis is gone, now that your lover didn't stab you in the back, Bill were, yeah, were very. Very romantic, and now Bill's gone, and you're you're all in your feelings right now in the Shamrock, which is great. Like maybe Bill will rejoin us, and that will give it, be a Shamrock bump for Ari. I don't know. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, you know what? Thanks for uh, for talking for thirty seconds. I remember my point. <laughs> uh, your point with Notre Dame has always been right that like they have the the guys up front and on the defensive yeah. line, and like those those brute force guys that can do it, but they've struggled with the skill position players, right? So the the difference in this game will be can Notre Dame own the offense and defensive lines enough to neutralize the stark advantage Ohio State has at the skill position because Jackson Smith the Jigba like is getting hyped up right now guys he might be I think he is better than Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave like that to me is like I can't believe I just said that. You know, we're talking about two top 10 picks, but the guy is insanely good. And you got Marvin Harrison Jr., who I think is going to have a major breakout year this year, too. So, 
you know, and Trey Henderson, their running back is also going to be a, you know, a pretty high draft pick. So like, will can they neutralize that? Does Notre Dame have the corners and the safeties to keep up athletically with Ohio state's passing attack? And I think that's probably going to be the difference. And to me from an, as an outsider watching them play in the playoff and in games like this has seemed to be the thing that has dampened their chances of, of winning some of these games in the past. Yeah. They don't have killers on the outside and it's like, we had Bruce Feldman on our podcast and we were talking about this and he felt like, you know, getting into a scoring, a shootout with Ohio state is like trying to shoot three pointers with Steph Curry. And I think some of our listeners were like, what the hell is he talking about? But like, I, I feel like Notre Dame is like built like a, they're a basketball player with a really good mid range jumper, but can't shoot threes. And Ohio state is like a little bit more like the golden state warriors. And it's just like, you can beat It's not that you can't win the game. Mm-hmm. It's just that the advantage, the advantage you have, you just, CJ Stroud just needs to chuck it, whereas Notre Dame's advantage is like you need four defensive linemen and two linebackers to fill the right gaps, and you need five offensive linemen in your tight end to block the right way to spring a gap, spring a run. Like Ohio State just needs one thing to happen for a big play, and I think Notre Dame needs like this concert of eight or nine things at once to like have an explosive game. And that's kind of been like Ohio State's Achilles' heel to some extent too at times because. Like, if I had to bet, I bet you Ohio State will score a touchdown in this game of 60 yards or more. But also, they've had so much insane talent in the past that they've relied on it so much that it's hindered their ability to be progressive in terms of of being imaginative. And if you've watched Ohio State as much as I have over the course of the past 5, 10 years, they beat people because they're more talented, but they don't out-scheme people, usually, which at times has really caused them issues. I mean, cause when they, when they played Iowa that year, I think it was at 16 or 17, like Iowa saw something in their defense and out schemed them and threw four touchdowns to a tight end in that game. And Ohio state couldn't figure it out. And like Ohio state's offense, like if the offensive line gets blown off the ball or they don't do a good job protecting you rattle CJ Stroud. It's like, you're basically hoping that Jackson Smith and Jigba can catch a pass you know, a slant for 15 yards, make somebody miss and run 70 yards. And like, that's not the position you want to be in either for sustained, consistent offense and a big time top five matchup. So it's, it's kind of good and bad because it's, it's just been something that they've relied on too much in the past. I mean, I, I don't know if you were there. I covered the Ohio state's opener last year, which was on Thursday at Minnesota. And you know, yeah, Nerdy's watched better than Minnesota. Minnesota had an awesome running back who kept mm-hmm. them in the game until he literally blew his Achilles out and couldn't play yep. anymore. But to your point, about Ohio State having a 60-yard touchdown. That was C.J. Stroud's first career game. Ohio State's five touchdowns were 71, 38, 56, 70, and 61 yards. And they had a 32-yard scoop and score fumble recovery on a sack. Like, they're, they're going to make big plays. It's going to be a big play offense. I, I I think the spread's too high, in my opinion. Again, like, I'm not a Vegas expert. 17 seems a lot, especially when the over-under is only 59 and a half because that, to me, indicates, like, like, I can see, I don't know, could I picture a 48-31 game with Ohio State, you know, you know, I, I guess breaking even there? Yes, I can. I have a harder time seeing a complete blowout with Notre Dame not getting some of theirs offensively as well. And, and the other, I mean, my question, I guess, if Ohio State's a 17-boy favorite over Notre Dame, how much of a favorite are they going to be over every other team they play this year? Well, they're double-digit favorites in every game they play this year. So um, well, this has got to be the smallest, right, outside of Michigan? I'm sure Michigan's probably like 10 um, but yeah, this is a pretty big, uh, big spread. And the, th- the funniest thing about it is that it's grown. 
Because wasn't right. it 16 and a half or 16 it, when it opened? I thought it op- opened to it like 14. It was, thir- Four, it was under 14. Thir- under 14. So people have been betting it up. So, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where the game could be 38 to 20 and it could be a competitive football game. Because, yeah, you, know, like under- <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, but it could be, you know, that's. So it's like 17 and a half is like so much to wrap your mind around, but it's like Ohio State also could be win, winning 31 to 20 in the fourth quarter after right. scoring one another touchdown to get to expand it to two scores in the middle of the third. It'd be a highly competitive game and still cover the spread. And a lot of times, too, I've noticed with Ohio State games that, that go that way is they have a very – like that Minnesota game is a perfect example. If you remember, like at halftime, weren't they losing? They might have been. They were a live yeah. dog in that game. I think me and you were touching yeah, about that. Yeah, they that. were a live dog. Yeah, I think I paid my mortgage that month. Uh, <laughs> that Minnesota finished number three defense overall the year that year, and they still got gash up and down. Yeah, the but field did Ohio State. State end up winning by like twenty five or something? It was like forty five thirty one, I think. And okay, I don't know what the the line was on that. Probably a little bit more than fourteen. Because Ohio State's done a very good job of punching somebody in the stomach when they thought they were in the game, and then that punch turns into three or four more touchdowns in a very short amount of time because they can score very quickly. Um, and then the game looks like it is uh, like it was a blowout when it wasn't. Now here's the other thing that we have to, and I don't know the number off the top of my head, but Ohio state's been very bad at covering the spread. Like they just aren't a very good covering team. And whenever they play Penn state, they're always like a 13 or 12 point favorite. And it's like, why is the spread this low? And then like they play grab ass for three quarters and they win the game by nine. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, well, Vegas knows how to to kind of how to diagnose that. So um I think that the spread is probably indicative of the talent advantage. But as I've said three times already, I don't think the talent advantage is the only thing that comes into play here. And I think that Notre Dame, you know has a really good shot of keeping it close. Now, the one thing I would consider is when Luke Fickle came to Ohio state before he became the greatest coach of all time last year, <laughs> like he came to Ohio state his first year at Cincinnati. I think right. it was either his first or his second first year. Or second, yeah. And are we allowed to use profanity on this podcast? Oh yeah. He shit his pants <laughs> in Ohio stadium. I think the score was 33 or 38 to nothing. He, he was tense all week. He kept his players out of interviews. Like this is Ohio state. Like he treated it like it was the Michigan game. And when his team walked in to that stadium, they were tense and they didn't play well. And the thing that I'm very curious too, is that Marcus Freeman, as we all know, is a former Ohio state Buckeye who, uh, you know, is like very handsome and has a six pack and wears nice suits and is always smiling in a very, uh, you know, you know, that smile that I can't do it. I'm not as handsome as him. But like, will he be cool, calm, collected and coach this game like it's a regular game? Or is he going to get crushed by the Ohio State-ness of it? Because people Emotionless who, was um, the word he used this week. Yeah, yeah, he should be because it's very easy to be overwhelmed by the emotion that comes along with returning to the place that you played. Especially considering how important the Ohio State identity is to most of the players that come through the program. So, you know, Luke Fickle... I think if he were to come into Ohio Stadium this year would have would be much better at it. But like this is his second game he's ever coached. Right. This oh yeah. Freeman, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like there that there's that that you have to consider too. But and, I, ju- I just looked at that that season. That was um that was Luke Fickle's second season. They had just upset UCLA the week before on a Thursday. That society team went eleven and three. They won their next nine games. After losing forty-two nothing to Ohio State, so I think that kind of illustrates your point perfectly. There. And they didn't, and they didn't even have a. Ch- I mean, that game was a complete dismantling of Cincinnati in every facet of the game. They didn't have a chance from the second that game started. That was defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman. I'm 
right? I like, think so. Yes. Yeah. Um, and like, listen, that was before time. Cincinnati was the Cincinnati they were last year. And like Sauce yeah. Gardner hasn't even had a pass attempted on him in the NFL they so far. They were on their way though. You know, I mean, they were on their way, but they weren't what they are. Um, I'm just saying, they went from like two and 10 to 11 and three that year. And two of yeah, those losses yeah. were to Memphis who won the conference. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think Notre Dame is way further along <laughs> uh, than that team was, but right. there is that certain sense of like Marcus Freeman is this recruiting God. Uh, you know, he works out with the players. He's more accessible than Brian. All the great things that I've said and you said about him in the offseason. It's like when he puts the headset on in Ohio Stadium on Saturday night and Ohio State's like got foaming at the mouth because they were embarrassed last year. Like, are they going to be able to not crumble underneath that pressure? Which they might. They very well might. But it's certainly a question that you have to consider in this game, too. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. What I mean, what is the perception of Marcus Freeman around like the Ohio State or their fan base or program? Like, I feel like he's rattled their cage a little bit, which is not, I don't know how wise that is for Saturday night, but you know, when you're, if you have to pick fights with Ohio State and recruiting because like yeah, they're yeah. getting the guys you need to get. But, like, like, do people sort of see it as like, oh, former Buckeye, welcome back, or like, you've taken some shots at this university since you've been at Notre Dame. Like we're going to stick it to you. I think Ohio state fans are very sensitive and like, <laughs> yes, the thing I, that they I've gathered that. And I think that like the thing that Marcus Freeman said that I probably wouldn't have said was that academic comment yeah. or, and the other comment he made was cause like the whole thing with Ohio state and it seems kind of, you know, uh, cultish at times, but it's like the brotherhood, right? Like everybody, if you're a Buckeye and you cut your arm, then Buckeye blood is going to come out of your arm. It's like when he said the thing about not making Thank the same God, mistake. Thank God one of their, co- their colors is scarlet, I guess. <laughs> yeah, That'd yeah. That'd be gray, glut, gray yeah. blood. But when he said that thing about not making the same mistake yeah, twice, people right. were just like, what the? It's like, I get you're the coach there, but they're like, you're a buck. Like, how dare you? Um, you know, and I think that the thing about Marcus Freeman is that the Ohio State fan base resents the fact that he was never their defensive coordinator because they've had like Marcus Freeman should have been Ohio state's defensive coordinator on that field against Alabama the year that they lost in the title two years ago and not at Notre Dame, you know? And I think that like Ohio state fans have constantly been wanting to hire this guy ever since he was at Cincinnati. So the fact that they didn't ever make the attempt or they weren't able to close it, um, is something that bothers them. And now to see him as a rising star at a major program like this, 
so quickly into his coaching tenure, it's kind of like the Brian Hartline syndrome a little bit of just like, mm-hmm. well, one of ours came back and he's an assistant coach now and recruits nine top 100 receivers a class. He's the best Buckeye I've ever seen. Like that could have been Marcus Freeman. And Marcus Freeman would have been blocked at Ohio State by a coach who probably isn't leaving anytime soon. But like if Marcus Freeman is successful at Notre Dame and then Ryan Day takes the Patriots job in three years, like Marcus Freeman will be Ohio State's number one target, I would assume. So I think that they are annoyed by some of the things that were like kind of like traitorish that, you know, from their perception that he said. But I don't think the academic thing was all that offensive. I just thought it was a fact. You know, it's just like, yeah, yeah no shit. Like, yeah, they're better school. You know, um, so I don't know if they're rattled, but he certainly has rubbed them the wrong way. I'm still not sure of the, the context of, of that particular quote because he 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 walked back on it a lot, or at least said he would. You know, that that wasn't exactly what he said. But I, I did find the irony of that happening during the Notre Dame baseball team's program uh, uh, World Series run against Tennessee when they made T-shirts saying "Catholics versus Classless." In reference to Tennessee, very, very ironic. I'm sure we'll see some of that. Well, the thing that I Ohio hate Stadium. the most, and I despise it, and maybe I'm the problem, and I'm okay with it, and here comes like a rant. <laughs> we didn't come here to play school. I don't give a shit how good of a school you have. <laughs> We're t- this is a football podcast. It's like, that's the thing. Like It's like Michigan says it all the time. Notre Dame says it. I think Northwestern says it. Just like, we know you have yeah. a good <laughs> academic institution. We're not playing. We're not playing school. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Harvard's got a better school than you, Michigan. We're talking about football. <laughs> well, it, it's I fu- talked to uh, Bobby Carpenter for the big Marcus story that I did today, and yeah. he he described like the the linebacker room when Marcus joined as like meatheads in a good way, and he's he was talking about Trestles like Blacko for life, and he's like, I didn't care about that. I'm just I'm like here to chase girls play football, lift weights, and get a 3-0 so my mom stays off my back. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. that was the vibe there, which is great. Like, go for it. Everyone can have a different, uh, I know, different approach. I know it's football. a newsflash to everybody listening and to all of us, but the football players just want to go to the NFL, man. Yeah. They just want to play football, <laughs> and they want to get paid. And you know what? I would, too. And, you know, I'm not saying academics isn't important, and I know that it is a main pillar of Notre Dame's existence. <laughs> and I know that when you go there – you're better off for life. I know they are the Jay-Z of colleges or whatever that is. Wow. Someone listens to our pod. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it like makes sense. Okay. That makes a ton of sense. Great recruiting strategy and a great way to talk to young kids. But we're not talking about which places have the best schools because that's not what people care about. People care about football. And I think you have to take into account what school does about who you can get in and who's on your roster and how you can recruit. Certainly it, play, it plays a factor, but don't lose a football game and go, yeah, well, we have a better academic institution. <laughs> it's like, okay, great. That's we're not competing at academics. We're competing at football. That's why I remember uh, <laughs> being on the flight back uh, from uh, the Notre Dame, Alabama, 2012, 2013 title game. So Notre Dame buddy of mine um, on the plane. He goes, yeah, the, there's Alabama fan next to me on the plane. Uh, and he said, I can't wait to to brag to my boss about this game that, that we won. He's like, that's right. Your boss is an earning. I guess that's a dig. After yeah. losing by 20 I mean, guys, years. and I don't know, like I'm not like the, the pillar of education. Like I went to the University of Arizona. So, but it worked out okay. Yeah. You know, fine. it's like, I mean, if it's it, like, I don't know, like my entire take on education is kind of just like, unless you're going to be a medical doctor, a, uh, a lawyer or a engineer or something where your actual education 
comes into play. Like it is, what you make, it, it, yeah, it is what you make yeah. of it, right? Like, you know, yeah. you telling me, Fortuna, that your amazing Penn State uh, degree is the reason why you found success in this field? Or is it maybe uh, because you busted your ass, got internships, got, got a job at ESPN but, early on, learned everything on your own, and, like, made the best out of your situation? I mean, I knew I wanted to go to communication school. Um, I knew I wanted to go to a place that was big and had a big network. And I hope that I had the tools or developed the tools to take advantage of that. To get to where I did. But do you career. think if you went to Arizona, you wouldn't be here? I'd be a lot tanner. I probably wouldn't be in the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that, that's actually that's another point. Now that we do what we do for a living, and again, I grew up in New York. I went to Penn State. I had a great experience. But now that we like travel to campuses and get to see other parts of the country, yeah. every single time I'm on you the West it. Coast or yeah. in the South, I'm like, wait, I could have gone to school here. Are you kidding me? What the yeah. hell was I thinking? Yeah, I just like I think it's like I'm not trying to be mean towards the school I went to, but it's like, not like Arizona is some sort of Mecca of journalistic production. <laughs> I didn't like take Jeff anything Goodman. I learned. Yeah. I didn't learn. Like, I mean, Shane Bacon worked with me at the newspaper and he's like a handsome on television golf personality. Like we've had six. It's like, but like, I don't credit the university of Arizona education for any of my <laughs> professional success. I worked my ass off. And I feel like if I would have gone to ASU or Penn state or Ohio state, or any of the other schools in the in the SEC, and I was given the same opportunities with internships and and student papers and all that stuff that I would have worked my. You make the best out of your situation, right. so you know. And it's like really hard to get into Ohio State. I think like I never applied there, but like I heard now, it's like a really hard school to get into. <laughs> a new development. I thought we weren't talking about academics. No, no, I know, but it's just yeah. like funny because like that's the thing that everybody always says, and it's just like okay. You, right. you think that's bad? I mean, think about the the uh, well, the varsity blue scandal at USC, where a lot of these celebrities' kids got like it came out in court documents. Like, we don't want our kids going to Arizona State. We're gonna buy our way into USC. Like, you talk about a rival, a shot. Like, I'm going to jail so my kid didn't have to go to your school. And yeah. at the end of the day, to your point, it probably won't make that much yeah, of a difference yeah. if like, you're not that smart. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just feel like half all my friends that I met in journalism school don't even do journalism. Right. They have journalism degrees <laughs> yeah. and one one works for Spotify as like an app developer and makes a shit ton of money and another probably, one works probably for Probably producing this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Another <laughs> one, do, you know, I don't know. I just, my my whole point is like if you send your your child out of state to another four-year institution that's just a state school and they're not, they're not going for like pre-med or law, it's like you're just throwing your money out the window because the opportunity in professionalism is based on how you make your experience, not not the curriculum in the class of my journalism one-on-one one class that was like, use three sources in a story. I don't even use three sources in a story half the time. <laughs> I, I got to get you on recruiting this because okay, let's do it. We've talked Marcus Freeman recruiting. Uh, God knows I've written 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 words on Brian Kelly as a recruiter. I want to read you a quote from a signing day press conference here at Notre Dame. And get your reaction to it because I I think this you're is, gonna make me upset. Is this like a shtick now? Yeah, I'm a, no, you're, I'm gonna make you, I'm gonna make you upset. Okay, I, but this is this because this is a question I asked Brian Kelly, and this is it was about if he could take Notre Dame recruiting and elevate it another level. And the answer this is part of the answer. I won't read the whole thing. Okay, since I, since I've been here, if you look at the average rankings, we're anywhere from five to fifteen. We're going to fall somewhere in that range because that's a line we can't get over based on what our distinctions are. That line is going to keep us 
between five and 15. We know where we're going to fall. We're going to continue to recruit the right kind of kids here. But to answer your question to the detail, we want longer term relationships, yada, yada. Do people do this still? Do people yeah, do this? Yeah. We, want, we ought to put this on video and just use your cutout right now, your, re, your physical reaction that the listeners yeah. can't hear to that quote. I can't stand complacency for people who make eight to $10 million a year. It drives me insane. Like what the head coach just said to you in an answer in a press conference, we can't be number one. Yep. I'm with you. So, you know, whether or not that's true or not, I can never have a six pack. Doesn't mean I don't go to the gym. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I I disagree with that. I mean, I think that Notre Dame has inherent challenges that are always going to exist. And we talk about it every time we talk about it and we'll say it again. There isn't a lot of talent in the state of Indiana and they have stringent academic standards to get in. That said, how many of the five-star prospects that Ohio state has signed since it's their opponent this week in the past nine years would Notre Dame not have taken? We may or may not have talked to some current Ohio state coaches about that. Yeah, and, and and what did they say? It, it's about like eighty five percent take of of like the of you looked at. I think it was the Henderson class I asked about. I can't remember what was that year was it twenty 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 one that class twenty I think yeah is basically like tell me how many of these guys could could get at Notre Dame fit at Notre Dame and it was like eighty eighty five percent okay so and again it was that's hard very high it's very, it's hard to, to to cut the board at all. But it wasn't Dame, 50%. It there wasn't are 30%. plenty of players that are very, very academically gifted that are good at football. And I almost feel like it's this like weird thing of just maybe it's like the movie like Blue Chips or He Got Game or things like that where like, a, like really good athletes are just bad academically, which is just not true. You right, know, yeah. there are a lot of very, very good high school football players who can have the test scores to get in. And if you want to know how good Notre Dame can recruit, why don't you go down their offer list? I bet you that they probably offered 85 of the top 100 players in the country. Um, so now the problem is, is you got to convince these prospects to go to a Catholic school and to be in this environment. And again, that might whittle your list down to from 85 to 70 or 60 who are willing to do that. But they're not signing 100 guys a year. They need to find 25 guys. And the right person has already shown, and I know that, Keon Keeley and in some of the stuff that's going on with Bowen right now is an uncomfortable reality to it, but they've already dramatically improved in less than a calendar year mm-hmm. in that regard. So they go out and beat Ohio state or they make the playoff again. And you have this charismatic coach who knows how to talk to kids and sell how great Notre Dame is to these prospects. They can't sign a top three class. They can't. I, I don't buy that. And I, and I hope that that Marcus Freeman doesn't buy it. And I hope the fans don't buy it. I hope the fans always demand more because they're paying them for it, you know? So I, I, I don't know. It, it, what's your take on it? Do you think they could sign the number one class in the country? No, I don't think they can sign a higher ranked class in Alabama, but I think they could, they should sign top five classes what about, regularly. What about in 2033 when Nick Saban's not the coach there anymore? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like it's like generally, holding- generally speaking, I'd say yes to your question. I don't think they'll be better than Saban because Saban's the best to ever do it. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, philosophically, I say yes. Could they, they could. sign? Could they yes. win? Now, this is kind of this is a tough question to ask because of the context of the moment. But could Notre Dame theoretically win eight battles a year that resembled what they did with Keon Keeley? 
Yes. They win eight national battles a year because that's yeah. really all it takes. You got to be like a top 100, top 100 guys. You got to be eight, nine, 10. I yeah. think if they can get that's, eight, nine, 10. Yeah. I think now, that they, is a national gonna, championship roster. Are they going to get five, five stars? Probably not. But top 100 guys. Yeah. But if you get five, five stars or five you can top 100 Alabama. players. And I'm going to say something that, you know, you're probably going to use against me in the future. But I don't know how much of a distinction that there is. And there is because five stars are the top 33 players in the country. But there is not a major discrepancy between five five stars and seven top 100 players. Like if somebody asked you, would you rather have eight top 100 players or five five stars? What would you take? I got to see my roster, but I'd probably say the eight. I think yeah. that it's a discussion. So there, there. If it's a discussion, that means it's up for debate. And right, you know, Notre Dame. Like, if you go look at their class right now, which I probably should have just pulled up before this started, but they have. I think they're bordering on at least ten top one hundred and thirty players. Right, like they're yeah, in they that got- realm. It's not like it's like I'm not asking them to go from thirtieth to third. I'm asking them to go from seven to three, which the head coach at Notre Dame should strive for. So yeah, they have eight players in the top 120. That is a very solid class. Now I know it stings because there's going to be a uh, a realization, and it's happening now that when you are forced to recruit nationally and you go after five star prospects that also have offers from Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Florida, USC, and everybody else that winning those battles at Notre Dame is going to be increasingly more difficult. And Keon Keeley's probably going to end up, you know, a Florida prospect is probably just going to end up at Alabama. So it's like that is the reality of it because Alabama is so dominant in that field. But Nick Saban's not going to coach forever. You have a bright young guy who wants to be there for a long time. I think incremental improvement is crucial. They're not going to go from 10 to 1 in one year, and they're not going to finish in the one class this year, but they've improved. Oh, yeah. So right now, even without Keeley, if they just kept the class together, didn't add anyone else, and they probably will add two more four-star guys. But if they just kept the class together, it would be higher rated than the best Brian Kelly class in the 24-7 ratings. Sure. So, yeah, they've improved. And their average player rating right now is 92.55, which is a a playoff class. Yeah. And also, if you add into the mix, too, that there's going to be... Is Notre Dame have a hard time getting transfers because of the... Is it like really tough for them? So that might be very difficult. Yeah, that might be tough, but they might be like one Joe Burrow transfer away from winning a national title with a class like this four years in a row. And like, I just like, I know that it's really hard to kind of see through. And honestly, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, uh, I rub a lot of people the wrong way because I'll, I'll tell you like these classes aren't good enough when it's not. And people don't want to hear that stuff. But like Notre Dame's class right now, if you do it four years in a row, you add a few pieces in the portal. If the things come together the right way. Alabama has a down year. There's absolutely a path to playing for a national championship for this program if they do it the right way. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember to, to Pete's earlier point, it was actually Marcus Freeman's like public introduction as an Notre Dame employee, as a defense coordinator, it was still like in that Zoom world um, where I think it was the February signing day of 2021. Brian Kelly gives a statement. Yeah, it was a doesn't take. Yeah, but didn't take questions. You remember why that was, Matt? Take, Do you remember why? Why? Yeah, we, because you wrote about um, how that price Tyson, Tyson Ford, Ford's and how Brian Kelly didn't contact him in recruiting, and Marcus Freeman like wowed them. 
They were going to lose a yeah. top 100 defensive lineman to Oklahoma who was basically committed because Brian Kelly wasn't involved in the recruitment. Marcus Freeman gets hired. Boom, the kid is back at Notre Dame. I wrote that. Brian Kelly also also told the staff, I will fire you if you talk to Pete Sampson during that saga, which is a fact. Um, and we saw how that all worked out. Well, he is kind parties. of a shit story. Pete Sampson's still here, by the way. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I remember that thing. I, I wore that Pullian, badge of honor with pride when I was – go ahead. <laughs> Brian Pullian and Mike Elson come out um, that same day, and I forget who said what, but it was – one of them said – Hey, would you rather have a top five team or a top five class as if this is an either or proposition, which it's not because they're the only one pretty much who isn't in that one group, but not the other when you look at it year to year. And uh, one of them also said, well, out of the top 50 rivals prospects, we're only allowed to or we can only seriously recruit. And I'm I'm paraphrasing. here; I don't remember what the exact number was or maybe it was 30 of the top 100. It it was a small number um, to which I would say. Okay, then you have more resources to devote to a smaller pool of prospects. You should absolutely be getting more than you are. And I mean, I know we joked about this earlier on the show uh, about education and diplomas, and I generally do agree. I do think there are a handful of schools in this country where you could walk out of there with that insignia on your your resume as a graduate of and be able to get any job in the country. And I think Notre Dame's one of those few schools that has that reach. So I do think you're selling something a little bit more while you're at Notre Dame. And I also think Marcus Freeman understands that because again, that was, I believe he was the last guy to talk <coughs> during yes. that zoom press conference. And I'm, I'm thinking in the back of my head, this guy must be looking around thinking, what the hell did I get myself into? This is Notre Dame. Like I, I did whatever I wanted at Cincinnati. Like I'm thrilled to be able to wear this ND polo on my chest and walk into a high school and have everyone coming at me asking for a discussion about their players. Uh, and I, I, again, to your point, Ari, like, Nothing frustrates me more than highly paid millionaires um, coaching unpaid labor, complaining about how hard their job is and how they can never do it. And I think Marcus Freeman has completely flipped that narrative on its head at Notre Dame. You want to hear a fun stat that I just added up while you were talking? <laughs> I was listening to you, but I was Go also doing math. There are 30. It's hard. Thir- I don't believe this. Well, it was rudimentary counting, okay. but I was. 32 five-star prospects in the 2023 class this year. Okay. How many have has Notre Dame offered? Mm, I feel like I should know this. And no, it's not. It's, it's, an, it's an obscure stat. Like, it's not Tw- an easy. 25? 30. 25. Oh, wow, that's a lot higher <laughs> so, than I thought. So if that, you know, and again, maybe some of those offers went earlier on. You know, right. they reported offers on 247. I don't know if they're all committable at this point or if all those kids would get in. But they're involved with all of these guys. You know, it's not like they're like recruiting in the periphery somewhere and they're trying to find the Catholic boys from whatever high school they can in Wichita. Like they're in on the David Hicks and the Peter Woods. And, and you know, you get the right guy in place to sell that thing. And it's like, I know there are people who graduated from Notre Dame uh, that are listening to this podcast and go, this asshole doesn't think that my Notre Dame education is important. Of course it is. Sell that. That's what he's trying to do, right? Right. That right. insignia, that network. You said you went to Penn State because you wanted to go to a place that has a, a vast network of people who can help you excel in your field. I can't think of a better university in the country than Notre Dame that has a right. network of people who are proud of where they went to school. And like that doesn't mean that I care what you learned in Chem 101 on your freshman year <laughs> midterm because it doesn't matter at all to your life. But there is an academic um, circuit or a pool of people that went to your college that are willing to help you out 
And that to me, and I don't think it's unique to Notre Dame. If you go to Michigan or you go to Ohio state or A&M, which my wife went to in Texas and you know, you think all the people who, I mean, networks are networks, but Notre Dame has a strong network. It's got a great education. It is literally like I go to Rutgers and I laugh because it says birthplace of college football everywhere. It's like I go to <laughs> South Bend and when I'm there, I feel like I can hear the Rudy theme music in the back. It's like it is college football. Now, there are some some different things about it, like the dorm situation and the, the, the facilities and all that that have, you know, I mean, the facilities are great now, I'm assuming, but like it is different than every other place in the country. And it's like, I don't know if I'm going off on a tangent here, but like, have you guys been to Europe before? I have. Yeah. Yes. Have you been to I like re- the Greek islands or like Santorini or anything like that? Mm, done like Cinque Terre. Mm. Okay. So you've been to Italy and all that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I ran into Muff McGraw and the Notre Dame women's basketball traveling party while in Rome. That's really crazy. Enough. When in Rome, yes. when in Rome, right? W- when in Rome. But <laughs> so I, I came up with this thought process like five years ago. I was on a family trip uh, with my parents and brother uh, in Santorini. And I was on the cliff there and looking at all these white houses and I'm looking around being a dumbass American. And I'm thinking, this is the only place in the entire world that is like this place. You know, and we we vacation all the time in, in America, right? Like you go to Palm Beach, you go to Malibu. I mean, there are certain intricacies about American cities that make them different than others, but they're all kind of the same. You know, you got your 7-Elevens and your Walmarts and your strip malls and your Five Guys. And you have the beaches that are, are, you know, Florida beaches are sometimes indistinguishable from one another. Notre Dame is Santorini <laughs> in college football. And like that, you should give to Marcus Freeman because it's like, yeah, you can go to any other place that has all the same suburbia restaurants. Or you can come to Santorini and go to the one place that is unlike any other place in college football. And I think that is a very powerful sales pitch that could be done to the right way. And honestly, people talk about academics as a a thing that gets in your way. But if you do it the right way, I think you can use it as an asset. And like that, when you want, when you start untapping that, that's when I think you have a really good shot of achieving something. And I think Marcus Freeman, in the in the public comments that I've heard him say, seems to have tapped into that to some degree. Yeah, the, so, the Jay Z and the Santorini right? of college football. Yeah. yeah. I didn't really think about conflating those two things, but I, I could see how that could work. But I it's just like I use Santorini because Santorini is unique in what yeah. it is. You know, and when no, you go like, in Notre, Notre, Dame Notre Dame is that way. Like I, it is. You know, I've seen the you know behind you. You've got pictures of all the like I don't know all, but many of the road stadiums you've been yes. to. Like when I go to other campuses, some of them are unique. But none, the of them, none of them are yeah. like Notre Dame. Maybe, every like, big Duke, every Big Ten school outside of Northwestern is exactly the same. Yeah, I've always like all the same. Duke Duke <laughs> was the only one where I was like, eh, you know, this is very Notre Dame ish. Duke. If I dropped uh, you in the middle of Illinois campus and then I dropped you in the middle oh, of geez. Indiana's campus, do you right. think you would know where you are? No, no, hundred. I would because I've been to not. both too many times. But yes, I mean, no, you yes. know what I mean. Like, you just yeah. drop somebody. It's the same thing that happens when you say, like, if I blindfolded you, Pete. And I dropped you in suburbia in any city between Dallas and Columbus, Ohio, along that route of driving. Do you think you would know what city you were in? No. No, there would be a Fairfield Inn next to an Olive Garden yes. and all of them. Like, <laughs> and they would all look the same topography-wise. It's it's all indistinguishable. You drop me in the middle of Notre Dame's campus, I know exactly where I am. And I think that's an asset. I couldn't agree more. I'm with you. How the filet fish in Wichita, Kansas, and, and uh, I mean, Dallas? I wonder. <laughs> I bet you the filet fish yeah. in South Bend is a 
top seller. Yeah. Because if you know <laughs> I that, bought one, which I haven't been compensated for, I'm just saying. Oh, I, oh that's right. Let me Venmo you right now. I forgot. I owe you 10 bucks. I said I'd pay you 10. Yes. Yeah, um, I, you have to send me your Venmo after this. Okay. I will pay you. I'm, I'm not a man who... Tr- but the reason <laughs> you why... You could have just f- sent him a free one with your yeah. hookup. The filet fish actually was created because of Lent. Oh, all right. That makes That's sense. why it's even on the menu to begin with. And as a Jewish man myself, thank you <laughs> to those who created a, uh, a need for this. But yeah, no, it's... Uh, the filet fish probably hits real hard in South Bend. It turns. Oh, turns Nerd 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 still seller. blames you. Nerd Dame still blames you for the astroturf. To use a Seinfeld <laughs> reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know astroturf. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm excited for this game. I hope that it's close because we all like close games. Um, and if Notre Dame wins this game, I think it is a. It's, I think Notre Dame's comes at at a, at a perfect angle here because if they lose, then everyone expected it. You know, okay. Go on with your season. If you, you play a close game, you lose. You know your your season's alive. You honestly still could make the playoff in the modern climate with the way that it's changed. Um, you win, boy. That's a statement. Yeah, that is because the way I get it, questions like, "All right, what if they win? What if they lose? Like if they lose, like the narrative's the same, but you have, I think, a more likable head coach, and your recruiting is better. So you're better off than this result before." If you win, it's like the Bush push never happened. Matt Liner falls down. Notre Dame beats USC in 2005. Like, this would be the biggest Notre Dame win since 93 against Florida State. I think without question. Yes. And, like, and there Nash- is the potential, too, that Ohio State is not what we think it is. So they could can be. annex They can annex that, that power the way that Michigan did last year without having to beat an Alabama-like behemoth. Yeah, I just And then think, you can like, change that with the recruiting... The, the billboard that this would be for Notre Dame would be invaluable because, like, they would suck up all oxygen in every college football discussion until they lost. Like, that's how it works with Notre Dame. Like, when they're really good, they're kind of the only story until they lose. And that's, and that's what, what will happen say if they won. To Fortuna earlier, like, join the Big Ten and play Ohio State every year. Isn't that like a ratings? Is that ratings nirvana? Oh God! I mean, yeah. can, can like, is it going to be the, the highest rated non-playoff football game of the last five years on Saturday night? I I want to know: Will it beat like what Ohio State Michigan was last year? Like, can it get to fifteen million? I think if it's a good game, it will get to fifteen million. Like ten million is huge. I think there was only one game over ten last year. The Iron Bowl was right at ten, and it was Ohio State Michigan, which cr- like blew past ten million. If this is a great game, like it's. It's going to be off the chart. I think it will go over 15. Because I'm trying to look at the schedule. Am I forgetting right, what, any? Are they competing against anybody that say, night? I'm, I'm looking at no. too. Or, or, Utah, Oregon, Georgia's during Florida. the day. Uh, is Utah, Florida at night, though? Yeah. Okay. So guys, I guess there, there is, is Washington, Kent there is State. Some, so let's. Mm, there's some, <laughs> counter, some counter programming. Yeah, no, but Alabama, Utah State is the other night game. That's on SEC Network. Um, yeah, no, they've got the floor. So I, I think this is going to be a, a great product. And, you know, there will be some people who tune into Wisconsin, Illinois State on FS1 during the same window. But, um, you know, it's going to be fun. You know, it is. Yeah. Well, you know, you're looking at one. So. Uh. All right. Hey, before we, you are a former Columbus resident, mm-hmm. as two guys going to Columbus, me for the, I've passed through one time driving back from Virginia Tech, stopped at Land Grant. It was great. Like, where are you guys staying? What do I need to hit? I'm staying downtown. I think I'm by the airport. I need to look that up. I booked it kind of late. 
Oh, I thought you guys were like me and Landis get conjoining rooms when we were on the road. So yes. if you want, if you shared. want, is conjoining a word? That's how I always ask for it. I want a conjoining room. Um, so as a Columbus resident, there, there's two ways I want to do it. Do you like want to like experience the Ohio State footballness, or do you just want good food? <laughs> because like, there's I'd all these good food because we're gonna get the footballness Saturday. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll take yeah. the football Saturday. Give me good food, nice beer garden. Like, yeah, little... well, Land Grant Brewing is like the best beer garden in Columbus. It's awesome. Okay. You should check that out. Um, but there's some really good Chinese food there, and I said this to some friends. Um, who were offended by it, but the best Chinese food I've ever had in my life is in Columbus, Ohio, but you have to get in a car and drive there. So like people are like, well, why would I go? I'm in Columbus, Ohio. I'm downtown. I'm in the short North. That's where single Ari had a lot of fun in his twenties down that street. There's a lot of great bars. And if you're staying downtown, you can walk to a bunch of places that'll be super packed and lively. Um, Columbus is a good city. You know, I didn't appreciate how fun it was when I lived there until I left. But it's a great city um, uh, with a lot of places to eat and stuff. Um, but if you want to go off the beaten path and get in your car and just be a glutton. <laughs> I'm not I a volume eater, Ari. I'm, I'm more of a quality over quantity. So. Yes. Well, this Take- this Chinese food will knock your pants off. Yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I haven't found too much good Chinese food in the Midwest. Because which Chinese is where food most of my is my professional life. But Chinese but, but, food fun, is a Big Ten campus. Fun, fun, it's very fun indistinguishable. <laughs> <laughs> fun fun fact, and probably a very uh, awful alternate history for all the Notre Dame fans who love me so much. I was initially hired by ESPN to be the Ohio State beat writer. Um, I literally had a deposit on an apartment in Grandview looking straight at the horseshoe. It was all ready to go, and something happened. We could have been best friends. It could have been I, me and you and not me and Bill. I know. And my first, my first year there would <laughs> have been Who would I be the, podcasting with then? Like, would <laughs> I, I just know. be by myself? You'd my first year there the would have been yeah. the Luke Fickle 6-7 and seven disaster that led to Ur- Urban Meyer, which would have been awesome for a young person like me who had no idea what the hell he was doing to cover. Um, but anyway, anyway, like a lot of things at the Worldwide Leader, something happened with someone else behind the scenes. They said, We're not, you're not going there anymore. They gave me like a week while I weighed on pins and needles and they said, how about Notre Dame? And I said, perfect. And my, yeah, I just got give there, me a job. Yeah. Got, got there Thursday. Yeah. And I quit my internship. So I was kind of in limbo there. Uh, got to South Bend on Thursday and on Saturday I covered a six hour lightning delay and a loss to uh three and nine South Florida team. And you'll remember that for the rest of your life. It's so uh, yeah, funny you bring well. that up because my first year on the Ohio state beat was the Tatgate stuff. And oh, I was God. 21 and I just graduated from the prestigious university of Arizona <laughs> And I had you would I would have thought like knowing what I know now about how the sport works and, you know, what we do like at that time, I was like, I'm not cut out for this profession. I can't do this. Well, there was such like, a big was scandal. Don't you remember scandal of all these amazing, like incredible things that were happening behind the scenes. And ESPN, the magazine had this huge how deep it went cover. And I knew nothing. <laughs> I had no perspective. I was just compl- just crapping my pants for the first six months of my tenure there. And it's like, I wish I could go back in time with what I know now and like my skill set, and cover that again. Just say NIL and it would be over. I wouldn't even say <laughs> NIL. I would, I wish I could cover it without the knowledge of NIL. All right. So I started on Notre Dame in 2001, nine months later, George O'Leary got hired here. What, what was a bigger one tattoo gate or George O'Leary at Notre Dame? So George O'Leary lied on his resume. Yeah. I got fired like a week later. I don't think that's that big of a deal. <laughs> I figured you'd say that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't. I don't think selling, uh, getting free tattoos. Well, now it literally is legal. But for selling, you know, Terrell Pryor didn't even get a tattoo. 
What did he do? He sold he, his. He like, sold his, his own bull rings. Yeah. It's like well, funny because he's like what's the, funny is that that's what got Jim Trestle fired. Who's going to be on yeah, this week? He lied yeah. to the NCAA, right. which I would have been like, "Why are we talking about this?" Like if I were him, I'd be like, "Yeah, they sold their own shit." Sorry. Uh, I know it was but, only year two for me, but I'm sorry that the and we talked about this on the last show, I think. But the Teo catfishing scandal mm. tops both those. Yeah, we're still yeah, talking yeah, about it ten like, years later. That's untoppable for. <laughs> I the know rest we of time. are getting into. I'm sure you guys talked about this a ton on your podcast already, but I watched that last weekend. And sorry, we're at an hour and five. So if you don't want to talk about this again, these guys, we're going to talk about it. They can drop off. <laughs> we've, we've given them the hour. But I, and I, I was so young in my journalism career at this point. There were so many things about that that I had not recognized until I watched it. I had no idea that there was this discussion or thought process of him being in on it or him being anything other than a victim. So oh, like when God. I watched this the, the first time, I don't even I, I didn't even remember that. I just thought people were making fun of him for getting catfished. I had no idea about the sexuality stuff and all the things that he went through. And man, I got to tell you, I never met this man before in my life, but I truly am sympathetic for him. And the way that he handled this whole thing, you know, it was a PR nightmare at the time when you're 21. But what do you expect? The man he's become, and I, I, I have all the love in the world for that guy. And uh, whatever he pursues in his life, I hope that that he gets everything he deserves because I think that the reason why this happened to begin with is because he was a good person. Ooh, like, alternate history part two, uh, as we're talking about 2012, Notre Dame versus Ohio State in the national championship game if Ohio State had not put itself I was on thinking that. And no, Notre Dame would have won. Okay. I'd- Notre Dame would have won the national title that year if Ohio State didn't put itself on probation. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I I think that 2012 Ohio so State many team was not good. No, that, that well, that's when I was like, holy crap, Urban's gonna be really good because he keeps ragging on this team and they just ran the table in his first year there. Their offense was Braxton good, do something with poking him with a stick, dude. Run. That was that that team was I mean, that team was special because they found a way to not lose, but they weren't a good football team. Well, Notre Dame was dominant defensively that year. I, I I would think on paper Notre Dame would win that game. Like, if we're going to go down that rabbit hole, like, are they playing it a week after Teo found out the whole season was a lie? Uh, And is he going to play as well well as he did? The whole thing I didn't like about the documentary was they painted Notre Dame as this unbeatable, immovable object. (laughs) They were not. That Alabama team was awesome. (laughs) All right. So, like, and I know that, like, Manti went through some shit. Like, I'm not saying they didn't lose because of him. No, I did an oral history on that team a few years. It was my first year at the Athletic, and I talked to Chuck Martin, head coach of Miami, Ohio, who was the OC on that team, and he said, on the record, we were closer to finishing 3-9 and nine that year than going 13-0. and 0. Alabama was that much better. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, it just yeah. was not. No, they were so good, and they made it seem like this poor guy had the weight of the world on his shoulders and the reason why they lost that game. That guy could have come in at feeling better than he's ever felt in his entire life. And they would have lost by 30. Like there was no yeah. way that they were going to win that game, um, which was the beginning of the Alabama dominance. But you know that, uh, can I ask one other thing about Manti Teo? Now Please. that I got your guys' attention, you know yeah. more about it than me. Yeah. There's no way he picked Notre Dame because he went to church one night <laughs> and decided that he was going to go to Notre Dame instead of USC. What happened there? That's not what happened. I I, I don't know what happened. So I know I, that's not you, what happened. I, I have like, part of another story and I don't know how true it is but it was fed to me at the time or around the time I don't 
I supposed to remember, I was with my aunt. This is literally right after, like, oh, I, I'm going to Columbus. Oh, wait, no, no, you're not. Reroute to Notre Dame. So, like, it's days before the game. I'm looking for a place to live. Um, I look at an apartment complex not far from campus. Um, the woman showing us around is very nice. Um, and she said, oh, where do you move to town for? Oh, I'm going to cover Notre Dame. She goes, oh, my cousin Manti plays on the team. I go, oh, okay. And I didn't know Manti personally at the time, but obviously knew who he was. And I was like, yeah, that's such a big deal when they got him. You know, everyone thought he was going to USC. And and again, I'm not. She said he was his cousin. Now, as we saw through that documentary, he had a lot of cousins that weren't exactly his cousins. That was just kind of that, the way. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, um, that's a Polynesian. That, it was. That's, that's a, a Polynesian culture thing, right? But yeah, like, she said, I'm his cousin. And when I said I was surprised he didn't go to USC, she said he wanted to, but Pete Carroll made his mom cry. And she left it at that. Oh. Hmm. Interesting. I also yeah, heard yes. that he was silently committed somewhere like to uh, UCLA at some point too. Yeah. That was, I think Bruce has maybe mentioned that before, like that Rick Neuheisel said, cause Robbie Tomo is his best friend receiver. was like, you know, kind of a low three-star recruit was committed to UCLA. And then when Manti told UCLA, I'm not coming, they were like, well, sorry, Robbie doesn't have a spot here either. Manti commits to Notre Dame. And it was like, Later in the day, Notre Dame took Robbie Toma as well, who turned out to be uh, a good slot receiver for Notre Dame. But yeah, I think that this 10 years, well, I guess that's more like 13, 14 years after the fact, why he ended up at Notre Dame. I think all of the above was true. Maybe Pete Carroll did make his mom cry. Somebody did say something <laughs> to him in church. and uh, But I, I thought the documentary did a very good job of depicting like, the culture Manti came from where sure. like, you're like, Oh, yeah. but you know, his okay, parents were very involved in his see. recruitment to some extent based on yeah. the personalities of the people. 100%. So, you know, I, I just never really understood like why a Mormon would get a revelation from God to go to a Catholic school either. That didn't really add well, up. And it, his visit, they didn't even talk about his visit. Oh, they God. lose at home to Syracuse. He wears jorts. They're throwing snowballs at the team. The own fans are because they're so bad. The team was and awful. that was his visit there. <laughs> I think he left at halftime. Was like what I he like went back to the recruiting yeah, lounge at halftime. So he, he missed the the snowball fight with the students throwing snowballs at the team. Like, but I guess we get close with this. He was awesome. <laughs> he was awesome. He, he was he an was awesome a football player. Incredible college football player. Yes, Just, I mean some of the the hits that they put in that documentary like i remember those games you're just like holy crap like this whether this translates to the pros or not i did not care um incredible college football player and like I think incredible person yeah just like the doc yeah. did a good job of like notre dame really embraced everything about him even after the catfishing stuff like he can still come back to notre dame and has many times and like nobody's making a joke about him at notre dame like that's like you're our guy. Yes, and I, I can understand how that could happen to him at that time yeah. too. So, anyway, I just wanted to say to all the the Shamrock listeners that it's been a lifelong dream <laughs> to be on the show, um, which is what everyone says whenever they're on anyone's shows. But it's true, and it was good to fill the void of team specific podcasting again because yeah, ours is dead. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we, will, we will not spike the football. In your no. face, but we we can't yeah. let you out of here without a prediction. Oh, Ooh. you know, I actually haven't even made one, so I'm just going to go off the cuff here. I think Ohio State's going to win thirty four to twenty four or something like that. 
Okay, so good, think, a I good think, game. I think it'll be a good game. The under. I don't. I don't know. Like with Ohio State, I feel like they've always been the hardest team to predict. You know, there are certain games where I'm like, God, this is going to be close, and they win by a hundred. And there's certain games where they should win by a hundred and they don't. Um, but I think it's disrespectful to think that Notre Dame wouldn't play them close. Like, you know, I don't know if they have the athletes to last all four quarters, but I think the first half should be close. And then hopefully in the fourth quarter will be too, but I don't think this is going to be a 52 to 10 scenario by any stretch of the imagination. What about, what are your predictions? Have you guys given one years? I have not yet. I'm still, I'm still like working it through. It's like, it's the least important thing I do that I spend the most amount of time agonizing about. Well, the funniest thing about it, too, is that like as sports writers, our job is to chronicle what has happened. <laughs> and like fans have expected us like they're like, you were wrong. It's like, yeah. no shit. Like if I was yeah. right all the time, I'd be in <laughs> Vegas in right. my backyard. Well, boring with this floating so on I, my hundreds. I, I, I do. Um, I started doing live on the line stadiums uh, betting show every Friday and I have to give like a lock of the week. And so last week, week zero, I said Northwestern plus seven first half. It hit. I've gotten some messages across multiple different platforms and texts from people I haven't heard from in years saying, thanks for that. I tailed you. Appreciate it. Which makes me Did scared you to death about what they're going to say. <laughs> no comment. Which makes me scared to death about what they're going to do when I inevitably lose a couple here. And <laughs> I'm getting threats out. I'll tell you guys one thing. I've paid services um, money for picks every week. Um, I listen to the college football podcasts with predictions. I know a lot of people in Vegas, a lot of my close friends who live there that are, are in on with the Sharks and the Sharps. And the reality is nobody knows what the hell they're talking about. There isn't somebody that you're going to tail and go, yeah, this guy went 83% this year. It's just, it's an unwinnable proposition. And if you go into it with that mentality and you try to win 60% of your games one year and and win some money, but you're not, you're not going to go eight out of 10 all year. So that's the reality of it. And I don't care how much you know about the sport, how much you analyze what turf they're playing on, who's out. Uh, which offensive line matches up in, in the rain, it, it, all that stuff, it just kind of goes out the window, especially at the college level. Because I'll tell you one thing, Fortuna, I was all over Nebraska last week. Well, that, that's your that's that's your fault. You you dug your own grave with that one. And, it, and, I, and I will go to my grave knowing I was right, and then Scott Frost kicked me in the nuts with that well, onside kick. Yeah, that's kick. what he does, and you got to account for and that. you got to account for that. I know, I know. So I'm the sucker. All right. You, know, our, you sound like uh, Brian sucker. Kelly. I think this is a great place to end the show. <laughs> we can't let him out on that. <laughs> I'm a sucker. You just, ended, you just ended sounding like Brian Kelly saying, I'll never have the number one recruiting class because it's too hard. No, I'm going to keep trying, bud. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to keep throwing money at this problem. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm never going to stop. Yeah. All right. Well, Ari, we appreciate you coming on. I'm bummed that you're not going to be in Columbus and we can't do a uh, Shamrock four to six A and B mashup podcast. But Matt, really Matt and I will definitely we'll we'll take a picture with Landis in the press box on Saturday we'll, and yeah, send we'll it hang to with you. Bill. But, okay. By the way, uh, I'll I'll go. I'm not printing it. I know Pete's got to write it in print. Uh, I'll say forty two thirty one Ohio State. I think it's going to be a good game. Cool. I, I'm sort of in that mode too. So I will. Uh, yeah, I'll have my prediction on Friday. All right. But, I'm going to bet my mortgage on uh, Notre Dame plus seventeen and a half now. Thanks, Matt. Go for it. Good luck to you guys. I know you have Sucker. young kids. So, all right. All right, guys. On that, 
No, that's a wrap for the Shamrock. Ari Wasserman joining us. Matt Fortuna in Chicago. I'm Pete Sampson in South Bend. We will talk to you. We'll have one more podcast later this week. I'm going to go with uh, Ari's arch nemesis, Ralph Russo, on Friday. Uh, and then and we'll do a podcast over the weekend, too. Matt and I will be in Columbus for post-game reactions. So until then, thanks for being with us on the show. <laughs>